Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by Matei and Doug. Unfortunately, basketball guru Evan Watkins, unable to make the podcast. But luckily, I think there's enough knowledge between the three of us to carry us through a podcast about, quite frankly, one of the most historic events in Virginia Tech athletics history and what comes after. Matei, Doug, how you guys doing? I'm good. March. March is here. March has been here. Pretty fun time. Getting ready to go to Las Vegas for it. It's going to be an equally fun time. It's like 68 degrees here today. I'm in the District of Columbia, just to specify, not in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm in I'm in the district. So any articles that I publish will be from the District of Columbia. But I think it's only fitting that we're coming back to basketball because the last few words, I think on the last podcast, maybe a month and a half ago, where we're right be I think it was right before the Florida State game or something where we were trying to predict whether or not Virginia Tech would make it to the NCAA tournament, what their path would be. They've lost two games since then. So hopefully this isn't like a jinx or anything, but um, you know, here to eat my crow and say that, you know, I I didn't have much faith at the time we last recorded in Virginia Tech, but I mean the things they have done since then have been nothing short of a miracle. Yeah, I mean, and I will hold to it that not having faith at that time was very well founded. They were two and seven in the ACC. They were losing games left and right, the likes of Boston College and North Carolina State. But um, as we saw in the 1980 Winter Olympic Games in Lake Placid, miracles do sometimes occur. And Virginia Tech, the ACC tournament champions, they are headed to the big dance for the fifth consecutive time there was no big dance held in 2020 and as such they did not have the opportunity to leave virginia tech out the streak is alive virginia tech who was uh, matei you're a year older than me so your freshman year and then my freshman year two wins in the acc those two years since then five ncaa tournament appearances this program has truly been revived from the dead at warp speed and is now a a regular player in the national landscape of college basketball, but just going to this ACC tournament victory, maybe not even the victory alone, but the run. You can include everything that happened from the month of February on when Virginia Tech holds the second highest winning percentage of all of Power 5 college basketball. You could include just the tournament. You could include just the Duke game. Where does this run rank in the pantheon of Virginia Tech a- athletic moments, feats, accomplishments. It's got to be right up there with uh, several of the football runs. Um, you know, I think 2004, first year in the ACC, Virginia Tech wins an ACC championship um, on the road at Miami to do it. To do it in that was was, was shocking, um, especially considering the ACC didn't really want Virginia Tech in the first place throughout that whole saga. Uh you know, other than that, other than that, like in terms of improbable Virginia Tech moments, it it doesn't it doesn't happen to Virginia Tech sports really. Um, it doesn't happen. It specifically doesn't happen to Virginia Tech basketball. I can tell you that. Um, just a pr- pretty remarkable turnaround. They got they got some help from a down ACC, obviously, but um, pretty remarkable turnaround to go from where they were you know, losing three straight in late January. When you're losing three straight in late January, it's getting it's getting late pretty early at that point. But um, 
they did just enough to turn around and to do what they did in Brooklyn last weekend was was ridiculous to go to, to go through North Carolina and do back to back nights like they did to win it and clinch their spot in the tournament. I don't think it's ever been happened. Something like that has ever happened to Virginia Tech's basketball program. Um, I guess the Sweet 16 run gets pretty close. That was pretty awesome. And um, but but even that was like, would they beat? Liberty and St. Louis and St. Louis, like not not you know, great making the Sweet 16. That game against Duke was awesome, but like like that wasn't that wasn't the kind of run you know Virginia Tech was supposed to beat Liberty and St. Louis pretty much, and they and they took care of business. So completely different story this week. Yeah, no, and you're exactly right because I mean the Liberty game, if I remember correctly, was a little bit closer than you would have liked it to be, but. St. Louis, they dominated from tip to finish in that game. And ultimately, you had the the noble effort that led to last-second heartbreak with the Ahmed Hill couldn't tip the ball into the whole moment. And Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Duke advanced in that one. But, you know, Doug, you mentioned that Virginia Tech did benefit from a down ACC. But I won't even say that they would because based on the way that the – selection committee treated the likes of Texas A&M who got damn close to doing exactly what Virginia, I mean, they had very similar seasons, like dead in the water, you know, 30% of the season lost 60% of their games over that course. And they made a run to the SEC championship. And the SEC is a stronger field like the, the ACC and the selection committee did not throw them a bone. They were still like the fourth team out in the committee's eyes. So Yes, the ACC was down, but over the course of the winning streak, Virginia Tech beats Miami in that improbable Darius Maddox buzzer beater, something that everyone will remember. The first game of the tournament against Clemson, it's not like the 10-seed Clemson got upset by the 15-seed Pitt. No, the Virginia Tech played the highest possible seed they could. And Clemson, though that they had a a, a rough season, a, a season that probably didn't match their own personal expectations. They got hot at the right time. They had won five, six games in a row coming into that game. And, of course, it took Virginia Tech with another Darius Maddox miracle buzzer beater to win that game. And then from there, you're facing the three highest possible seeds you can through the tournament. You know, three of the other four NCAA tournament representatives from the ACC. And, and two of those games, you're you know, significant to medium-sized underdogs. And it just kept happening and happening and happening. Matei, at what point did you stop believing? At what point did you get turned to be incorrect? You know, I, I tried to take it game by game. And I think when you look at the Darius Maddox three-point shot against Clemson, you're like, okay, you move on, you play Notre Dame. I think a lot of people within the Virginia Tech sphere were like, okay, if you win against Notre Dame, the selection committee might consider us for a high seed. I think that was like the common conception, but um, it seemed like with every victory that the odds of making the tournament were contingent on winning the entire ACC tournament. Um, So I would say after Notre Dame, I was getting a little worried. I was like, North Carolina, you know, if they show enough of a fight, Maybe then they'll make the tournament and it's respectable. They won two games in the ACC tournament, but then, you know, never having trailed North Carolina, making it to the final against Duke. I think there was a little bit of optimism, like maybe this miracle could happen, but in the way that it happened, I did not expect. 
And I think the entire time I was just completely proven wrong. Like I, I would say I was 60% confident against Notre Dame, but going into North Carolina, I thought not going to win and going into Duke, not going to win. I mean, it was pretty crazy, right? Because, you know, after that loss to Clemson in the regular season finale, which, you know, as people who are constantly prognosticating, like how many more games does Virginia Tech need to win in order to, you know, earn an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament? And with before the first Clemson game, you thought, okay, you win this and you win two games in the tournament, you're a lock. You lose to Clemson and suddenly it's like, okay, we could win two games in the tournament and then other bubble teams start winning and it becomes three. And then, you know, as much as tech fans wanted to crap on Joe Lenardi, I think his analysis had Duke beat Virginia tech would have ultimately been proven true that Virginia tech would have been on the outside looking in. But as those goalposts moved and Virginia tech just needed that one more victory, they constantly rose to the occasion. And I, I think that, for us as younger Virginia Tech fans, I don't know how long you guys have been rooting for Virginia Tech, but for me, it's just since I came to college. And growing up a Duke fan, I wasn't used to life on the bubble. Like, Duke made the NCAA tournament every year, and then since coming to Virginia Tech, they've had a lot of success in basketball. But the ACC tournament was always just a means in which you could bolster your resume. What I, so I kind of looked at it in those finite terms. You went, you know, went to ACC tournament games, they should be in. What you don't take into account is that other bubble teams can win too, and they can push the, you know, the the bar that you have to meet in order to get into that tournament field higher and higher and higher, regardless of what you do. And you know that I think Wake Forest is a great example of that because that's a team that was considered to be something of a lock. Maybe they were, you know, the eighth from last team into the field. They lose that 5-12 game against Boston College the bubble field just moves forward and suddenly they're a two seed in the NIT. So as the goalposts kept moving, Virginia Tech was forced into a situation where they were going to have to make history against, uh, you know, the greatest coach in the history of college basketball, bar none in his final ACC game. And, and damn, did they do it? But the picture I think is bigger than that. What changed starting with that Florida state game, maybe following that, heartbreaking buzzer beater loss at home against the university of Miami where there was just a different basketball team on the floor than there was, you know, in that middle part of the season. I, I think the offense turned around. Um, you can point to the shift where Darius Maddox and Sean Padula started getting a little more run. Um, Murphy was still, you know, he struggled. He played great in the ACC tournament, but I mean, if you look at, what they were doing in those losses in January, 68 against or 63 against North Carolina State, 52 against UVA, 63 against BC, 68 against North Carolina. This was just not a good enough offensive team to win those games. And then and and then starting with that Florida State game, they went 85, 81, 76, 74, 71. Um, only two of those wins down the stretch they scored fewer than 70 points i think i think they fu- they found the the formula offensively to just be a really dangerous dangerous offensive team mutz and aluma were basically the entire offense that whole that first part of the season um i remember going to the uva game up in charlottesville and 
you know, UV has obviously got a great defense every year and makes it really difficult on you. But it seemed like the only thing that Virginia Tech could do was get the ball to Aluma or Mutz on the block, clear it out, and, and hope that they can make a move in the post and score. Um, now, I mean, Couture lit up Florida State, went on and struggled, and then turned in hands down one of the best individual performances in Virginia Tech sports history. Um, against Dick Padula, obviously he's just a wizard with the ball um, in terms of what he can do to get to the rim and make and make passes. Butts has been terrific. I mean, it, it, even even Naheem Aline, who struggled a little bit throughout the year, but really struggled early in the year. I think I think offensively um, they're a really dangerous team when you can put when you can continue to rely on Aluma and Mutz significantly while also um, you know, spotting up some really, 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 really dangerous shooters. I mean, Maddox is basically unconscious if he's open. And if if Mutz and Aluma are on and, and making plays in the post, it's it's really tough to guard Virginia Tech for 40 minutes. And I think, you, I mean, 82 against Duke in the in the championship, and Duke couldn't stop him in the second half at all. Um, 72 against Carolina, 87 against Notre Dame. I mean, those are big-time offensive performances because of how how balanced and diverse Virginia Tech's attack can be, whether it's Kador, Padula, Murphy, Maddox on the outside, Aline on the outside, Mutz and, and Aluma on the inside. I mean, it's it's if you're building a roster, I mean, I guess you want a little bit taller, small forward there, but, I mean, you can play three guards around two bigs like that any, any day of the week. Yeah, I just want to jump in and add, like, when you think about Virginia Tech this season, like, they were never the 2-7 and seven type of team. I think anyone going into the season thought that Virginia Tech would be somewhere in, like, the top five. I think a lot of people pro- projected them to be the four seed in the ACC. And it was, like, it was, like, bad break after bad break. Guys were struggling. And... You know, to see the turnaround, I don't think anyone was expecting like a late season turnaround and the streak that they went on. But I think there was always a belief, even when they were losing those games, that Virginia Tech was good enough that heading into any night, like they could surprise someone. And I think it finally got to the point where not everyone was struggling. Like Doug was saying, they weren't super one dimensional in the post. Guys started to hit shots. And especially in this tournament run, like you can look at each game and of course you're going to have like Aluma and Mutz at the top, but guys were stepping up left and right. Like Couture was pretty quiet and then all of a sudden he breaks loose in the championship game. You know, Darius Maddox has 20 points against North Carolina. You're just finding production from all the guys in your rotation and Mike Young got more confident going to the bench in critical moments you know, making sure that it's not it's not Keve Aluma, it's not Justin Mutz on the floor at the end of the game against Clemson. It's Darius Maddox where you're going for a three, you're going for the win. Like he he really instilled confidence and and received it from the guys in the rotation. They were able to go at least eight deep and they found production from a lot of guys. And if someone didn't step up, someone else would. So they found a formula that worked for them, and it seemed like it didn't matter who was on and who was off. Like they found a way to make it work. And then, obviously, in this tournament run, 
it seems like everyone stepped up at the right time. Last last 10 games, Virginia Tech's adjusted offensive efficiency was 114, which is 29th in the country. Uh, defensive efficiency, 92.1, which is 23rd in the country. So they're basically a top 30 team on both sides of the court for the last 10 games of the year. I think that's, that's that that explains a lot of it. I, I think it's, it's almost telling and sweet in a way that we think back to when Virginia Tech was struggling in the way that they were, and they're losing these games by two, three points left and right, and they can't catch a break. And you, you look at the Ken Pomeroy metrics. I remember at one point they were second to last out of all 350-some-odd Division One basketball teams in the luck metric, which was, you know, I suppose what would explain a team that was so high in the Ken Palm, so high in the net, sitting there at 10 wins, 10 losses. So the fact that luck came in Virginia Tech's favor a couple of times the rest of the way. You know, Virginia Tech's in the NIT, if not for Darius Maddox. It's a shot that went in, but just like you would say it was bad luck that Virginia Tech lost that buzzer beater against Miami the first time. It is to some degree good luck. You won a 50-50 toss-up game by the stroke of a basket. Hit the last shot. But... What my thought process was in January was, luck or not, if this team can't put away Boston College and NC State, what are the odds that they can do what is necessary when the margin for error is so slim to get it done? And maybe every, you know, when you live and die by the three, which to some degree Virginia Tech does. I mean, Kevin Aluma has that amazing post presence, and I think they figured more things out. But some of the losses early in the season can be explained by you're living and dying by the three, and the threes aren't going in. You're going to have stretches of seven minutes at a basketball game where you're not making it. You're not going to win many games. But the defense has also stepped up. In the North Carolina game, a game where Virginia Tech won by double digits, there was a, a six-minute scoring drought. I think there was another three-and-a-half-minute scoring drought in there. You could total the three scoring droughts ESPN just bothered putting on the screen, and it added up to about a quarter of the game. And yet the Hokies still won by double digits. I think that's the difference, because once you can lock down on defense, you can afford what is going to happen to Virginia Tech, and that's the threes aren't going to go in at a consistent rate all throughout the game. But if you're playing D, you're not going to let the game get away from you. And, and I think luckily for Virginia Tech during this winning streak, the inopportune times when the shots weren't going in, with the exception of the regular season game against North Carolina, tended to happen when Virginia Tech already had a lead and the other team was playing catch up. So Virginia Tech was able to narrowly escape. It was almost strange, right? Having watched them get to that point when you reached your three toughest and ultimately most consequential challenges with Notre Dame, North Carolina, and of course, Duke at the end. And those were the games, really the only of the streak where the Hokies truly made it look easy. They almost collapsed in the first game of the home and home of Pitt. But against Paolo Banchero and six future NBA stars, they took command for the majority of the game. They hit Duke hard and Duke just folded. And it was truly something to behold. Yeah, it's like... Something about March when when you just get rolling. I mean, I think playing 
playing four games and you know playing those back-to-back games actually helps you when you, when you get that confidence and you get locked into that zone um i think it definitely helped them against duke to, to, to be coming off what they did against Carolina and, and Notre Dame. Um, you know, it's just, it goes back to like how improbable that run was. It's like every once in a while, there's a team that does that where they, they just start, you know, frustratingly inconsistent until the, until tournament time and off they go. Um, UConn, probably the most famous with Kimba, uh, Georgia, I remember years ago, was just terrible. Um, and then it was the SEC tournament. They played in Atlanta, and like a tornado hit the Georgia Dome during the tournament. Georgia, Georgia ended up winning the SEC tournament as a and made the NCAA tournament as a 14 seed. Um, there's just like, you know, when you get to March, it's it's uh, you never know, and like, I mean. I, it reminds me of like that Steph Curry run for Davidson where the, the dude just couldn't miss for three weeks. Um, it takes him to the lead eight. Like it's a different ball game when you're, you know, trudging through road trips to Clemson and playing pit on back to back nights and um, playing a down and out Georgia tech team. Um, you know, that's a little different environment than, than going in, Playing in the ACC tournament in the Barclays Center, um, playing Duke in the ACC tournament in the Barclays Center for the championship. Hopefully that continues when you're playing in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, we've seen it happen before. I just think it's like one of those weird. It's it is completely unexplainable that Virginia Tech can play like they did on March 5th at Clemson to lose that game, and then a week later or less than a week later, do what they did in the ACC tournament. But that's March. Yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech isn't, you know, the run-and-gun UNLV team of 1995. They're like, they're going to lose games here and there. And again, we talked about how narrow that margin for error was. And of course, if Virginia Tech hadn't beaten Duke, they might not make it. But I think a contrast that you can see between Duke and Virginia Tech is Virginia Tech knew on February 1st, the degree of the sense of urgency that they had to approach every single basketball game with. Virginia Tech essentially started tournament play after that buzzer beater loss to Miami. They couldn't afford to lose. They were already at double-digit losses. And of course, they did drop one here and there. But contrast that with Duke. I mean, Duke, talent-wise, is far and away the best team in the ACC. They are young, they are inexperienced, and you look at the way that Duke played against Carolina at home in Coach K's final game. You know, suddenly in a season where you've just been rolling, you've been cruising, and now the gravity of that moment is upon you and Coach K is making a speech and there's been a promo for this game on every single ESPN event for the last three months, and they folded. Similarly, sense of urgency, Duke, this young, inexperienced team who, you know, Virginia Tech is a team that is greater than the sum of their parts. I think it would be fair to say was – five, six NBA players on their team right now, Duke is less than the sum of their parts. And in a moment where they were faced with a sense of urgency against a team that, speaking in vague generalities, simply looked like they wanted it more and certainly needed it more, they folded. But I think that experience of playing with some fire under their ass for a month and a half really 
came to Virginia Tech's benefit when it mattered most. And you factor it with, you know, as we've mentioned, just things happening to click on all cylinders at the totally ideal time. You know, that's the, the recipe for a miracle. And, and Virginia Tech accomplished it. Just like the miracle on ice. You play the four-game series <laughs> a thousand times, and it's probably not going to happen more than like once. That's now twice you've compared the 2021-2022 Virginia Tech Hokies to the 1980 U.S. men's hockey team, <laughs> which <laughs> feels is fine. Like, feels like it. Feels which like is it. fine. But, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head of it. And I think it's, I think it's revealing of the equalizer of experience in terms of college basketball. Virginia Tech has Storm Murphy, fifth-year senior. Hunter Couture, third year, has played a ton of minutes. Naheem Aline, third year, has played a ton of minutes. Justin Mutz, fifth year, played a ton of minutes. Keve Luma, same thing. You put that much experience on the court more often than not, you know, they were able to handle the the bright lights and the intensity and and the pressure of what they had to do over the last month and a half of the season um, to make the tournament, like, when you can put together a roster, you know, Tech only plays eight, eight and a half man rotation, depending on if Ojiako gets a couple minutes. But if, you know, Padula is the only guy that is is new to this. Maddox a little bit, too, but he, he at least played last year. You know, they, they go up against Banchera as a freshman, Roach a sophomore, Williams a sophomore, um, Trevor Keel's a freshman, like, that's that's the difference. That that can be the difference in March um, between you know a successful team and a team full of pure talent, but not necessarily experienced. I mean, you get Couture and and Aluma going going against a couple freshmen, and, and they won they won that battle. And I think a large part of that is because of how how much college basketball they've played. Yeah, and Coach K mentions that specifically in his post-game press conference after the Virginia Tech win. Like, these guys have experience playing with each other. This is, at its core, a team that made the NCAA tournament together the previous year, and the main differentiating point is Storm Murphy, who had played three years in Mike Young's exact system at Wofford prior. Like, for Duke, such a young team, though they have the talent, they need, like, the practice time. They need the preparation, whereas these guys can kind of just go out and run it back. And obviously that, that played to their benefit. But two plays that I think illustrated that, that that sequence where Couture deflected the the pass in the on the fast break, right, where it looked like Duke was going to make a run. And then Couture comes all the way back down the court and they find him going to the rim for the breakaway bucket. That's all like the complete chaos on the court going nuts and. Tech executes exactly what has to happen to get the bucket, and then the and then the dunk over Banchero with two minutes left. When anytime Mutz and Aluma are passing together like that, post to post, like that's just that's just playing for get for the last two years together. Yeah, I mean it's it's muscle memory at a certain point when you have experience playing with those same guys. And you know I'm not going to come on this podcast and say that Virginia Tech is going to win the national championship, but. You see the teams that do in the Jessica national. Jessica Barrett did the 1980 men's hockey team. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what are the odds? Book it now. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, when you look at college basketball in the course of the one and done era, you have your teams like, you know, Anthony Davis, Kentucky and Duke in 2015, where, yes, the younger talent can win out sometimes. But for the most part, 
you know, you'll have a Final Four matchup between or a national championship game matchup between UVA and Texas Tech teams where you do have great talent, but you don't have like overwhelmingly great talent. You might have one really talented player, like in the case of UVA, DeAndre Hunter. But for the most part, they're above average, experienced college basketball players who have played in the same system for, you know, year over year. And they peak at the right time when you have to play games against challenging opponents time after time after time. And, you know, in the ACC tournament when they needed it most, that's what Tech did. But, Doug, I, I want to ask you, and you know, we, we just mentioned, you know, where Virginia Tech basketball is now compared to where they were years ago. And my friend Chris Coleman, I think, put it best. We are in the golden age of Virginia Tech basketball. Can that continue? Like, is this something where now Virginia Tech has the ninth longest NCAA tournament appearance streak in the country? Is this something that we can expect to see that Virginia Tech is at least more often than not going to be a player in the national landscape of college basketball when, you know, for decades, it seemed like Virginia Tech was good for an appearance once every 10 years and probably got bounced in the first round. I I think you definitely have to consider it. I think Mike Young has proven himself to be one of the best coaches in the conference. Uh, They have enough talent come expected to come back next year to to be kind of that middle of the pack ACC team heading into next year. Um, Any team, especially in college basketball these days is a couple transfers away from going one way, going get worse or or getting much, much better. So, you know, a little more uncertainty, but uh, you know, I, you know, I think there's a, I think Virginia Tech can be the exact same program that UVA is in terms of how good they are when they are set up and have their players and um, and are experienced. You know, Virginia Tech's never going to recruit the blue chip one and dones consistently enough to to make that um, a successful program. But you can certainly build a program year over year, and then every once in a while, like UVA had this year, you, you know, you just won't have enough. You'll be decent. But, um, you know, not not terrible. I, you know, when you look at like uh, Georgia Tech has kind of had the bottom fall out of their program with Pastner. Um, you know, NC State with Kevin Keats has been a little a little shaky and they weren't any good this year. But, you know, I, I don't see that happening with a guy like Mike Young. Um, even going into next year, Tech is going to be pretty good on the perimeter and they're going to need a lot of help inside. So. Um, you know, I think I think they can certainly continue. I, you know, you don't win. Mike Young's won 60 percent of his games so far at Virginia Tech. He's he won 300, almost 300, 299 at Walford and was over 20 wins. Basically seven out of 10 seasons. And, you know, that that feels right for Virginia Tech. And that feels like a really, you know, the chance to be a really, really solid ACC program. And I just want to add too, like you have to factor in. The next recruiting class coming in is very talented. Like you have Rodney Rice, who's a borderline top 50 player in the country coming in and, you know, bringing in that's a blue chip guy. You have MJ Collins, borderline four star Patrick Wessler, like a legit seven footer coming in. And then Darren Buchanan, who's kind of like, you know, one of those guys that you develop over time. So the formula, like you said, you're not going to bring in like three blue chip guys per class maybe you'd land one 
But if you can rely on a system that builds up players that you believe in, has the skill set, has you know the mental capacity to be in your system that you could build up over time, you know they're going to stay for a while and buy in, and then you sprinkle in you know one of those blue chips. All of a sudden, you're talking about not only do you have the guys that are season proven, they have that experience, but you're bringing in pure talent to pair with them, and I think that's a really good formula for Virginia Tech and they've shown that they can compete on the recruiting trail as well so it's not just about getting guys you know from Wofford that are going to come in that's kind of been like the bridge for Mike Young at Virginia Tech but he's also bringing in guys that fit his system and guys at a very high level at that too yeah Tech Tech's next next team you're talking about Rodney Rice kind of has that potential to be like the last the Sweet 16 team Robinson coming back, Ahmed Hill coming back, all that experience coming back. And then you add a guy like Nikhil Alexander Walker to the mix. Um, you know, I, Bryce is good. I don't know that he's like all ACC or second team, day one starter, play him 30 minutes in the ACC good right away, but he doesn't have to be based on who's going to come back. So, um, or who's expected to come back. You never know um, in today's world, but. But, I th- you know, I think they're set up uh, about as well as you could be set up. Obviously going to be a little active in the transfer portal in the front court. But, you know, this y- you can't doubt Mike Young at this point that all of a sudden Virginia Tech is going to be like a 12 and 20 program. Here's what I'll say. And, and this speaks to what you said with Aluma and Mutz and Storm Murphy being those those bridge guys, that's what Buzz Williams brought in Zach Ledeen and Seth Allen to do. And they did a fantastic job during the Williams era. And I think that when we saw that, you know, that was kind of the blueprint for what we expected the max of the potential of the this group of guys I just mentioned to be. But, and now, you know, Justin Mutz, Kevin Aluma, Storm Murphy, these are guys who are going to be welcomed back to Virginia Tech and honored as the first ever ACC champions for the rest of their lives. And, you know, it's so incredible. And I'm sure anyone who's looked at any message board or has a Twitter account or just is interested in the program can see the difference. You know, your highest ranked contributor was a three star. I, I don't think expectations were particularly high for these guys coming in. And they are certified legends. I mean, Kevin Aluma, what he's done over the course of the last two years has to be considered to be one of the single greatest contributors to the Virginia Tech basketball program that there has ever been. And this is a guy who was totally unheralded, just a throw in name. Oh, yeah, Mike Young is going to be our coach. He comes from Wofford and he's going to bring a guy who, you know, scored like 10 points a game, eight points a game as his power forward on that Wofford team that was really good. Then he sits out a year and everyone forgets about him. Talk about a difference maker for a team that is greater than the sum of its parts. I don't think any of this is possible without Kevin Aluma. So you, you got to give that man his flowers. Yeah, and taught himself how to shoot three pointers during that year off. I think I think the stat is he shot one at Walford, and, and then all of a sudden he starts playing at Tech, and he's a he's a legitimate, you know, take an open three point look kind of guy. Like we talked about earlier, Tech's ability to throw it onto the block and just let him go to work. It was a it was a negative earlier in the year when it was literally the only thing Virginia Tech could do offensively, but they figured it out 
figured out the formula and how to make it to make it work. And he talked about Aluma coming from Wofford, bringing bringing over Couture, who was maybe even less recruited than Aluma was. Um, and, and then to see him go for 31 in the ACC championship against game against Duke, um, I think I think this the the best individual performance I've seen a Virginia Tech athlete throw out Michael Vick because obviously, um, but in recent history it is Tyrod Taylor in the 2010 ACC championship game against Florida State just absolutely locked in, could not stop him, um, just dominant and and Couture's performance in terms of the stakes and and. And to score, th- I mean, people don't score 30 plus points for Virginia Tech very often. Like it's like Justin Robinson, Jalen Hudson, and Malcolm Delaney recently. Um, so, I mean, just a ridiculous performance from a guy that was going to Walford until Whit Babcock decided to hire Mike Young. And it's interesting, right? Because I mean, there were a lot of calls to pull back Couture's minutes, and I, I think the Two main justifications were he's a good defensive player. You don't want to take him out of the rotation for that reason. And you never know when he's going to turn it on. And though he had struggled mightily, I mean, I remember after the Florida State game when he hit those nine threes or whatever it was, he had bumped himself up to like the second or third best individual three-point shooter in the country. And he plummeted out of the top 15 after that. Like he has truly struggled up until – the big game on the big stage when he made it his own. Like Three points the night before. Like, he made one shot against North Carolina, and the very next night, 24 hours later, he scores 31. So you never know. Yeah, I mean, the tournament player of the year, right, the ACC tournament player of the year, they say he averaged 12-point-something points, 12.5, 12.3. Well, he dropped 31 in one of the games. So what does that say about the other three games? But, hey, it doesn't matter. Virginia Tech's the ACC champs, and – uh <laughs> he's the primary reason why, at least in that final game. I, w- I wonder, talking about his struggles, I wonder Virginia Tech had, had to win just about every game from that Miami game on. Just a ton of pressure on them. And he's Tech's number one defender. He's the perimeter defender that matches up against their uh, against the opponent's top perimeter guard basically on uh, on offense i i just i i wonder a little bit how much that pressure and that responsibility affected him offensively when you're when you're investing when you know that you absolutely have to win every game when you're investing that much effort defensively to to shut down the the opponent's top guard you know does it does it affect your shooting probably and then you just get in the zone against duke and the rest is history I just remember, uh, you know, when Mike Young was hired as coach, and I'm sure you guys remember very well that some of the names that were floated out there as Virginia Tech's next head coach after Buzz Williams, like Shaka Smart and others were much higher profiles. And they bring in Mike Young and Mike Young brings in Hunter Couture. That was his, I think, first recruit that he brought in. And the negative Nancy's out there were like, oh, great. Look what he's doing. He's bringing in his Wofford recruits to come play in the ACC. And here we are, you know, less than three years later, and Hunter Couture is cutting down the nets, accepting the ACC championship MVP trophy. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those how did we get here stories. Let's let's start from the beginning. <laughs> not, not only 
was it Kator and like Aluma, who was a reserve power forward basically. But he he had to convince Jalen Cohn and Naheem Aline to reclassify up a year. So his first like four guys were like Kator and Aluma from Walford and then two high school juniors um, coming to play in the ACC. So uh, pretty ridiculous. And I will say, you know, people who hate Buzz Williams, come on. I mean, Buzz Williams truly revived this program from the depths of the depths. However, he did leave Virginia Tech basically on the unspoken assumption that he had brought in the program to its peak and he was going to go take over Texas A&M and do the same. Well, three years in, Mike Young, two NCAA tournament appearances, Buzz Williams done. And just, I don't know, maybe he underestimated the uh, the power of Castle Coliseum. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I got to say, though, he did make the one Sweet 16. So we'll see. I don't know. How do you guys feel? Would you trade a Sweet 16 for an ACC championship? I think I'd take an ACC championship over it. This yeah. is... This was a Twitter discussion that it was involved in. I, I want to reference who it was, but I forgot who posted it. But shout out to them. If yeah, anyone I remembers. I forget, too. I said Sweet 16. I think there's a little bit of recency bias in the ACC championship. They're both they're both very, very, very good. Uh, very, very good options. Uh, I went to that Duke game. Holy cow, what a ridiculous experience. Virginia, if, if, you, if you ever get the chance to go to a Sweet 16 game with your team in it, it is a 40-minute white-knuckle just intensity. That was probably there at the, at the Barclays Center on Saturday night, knowing the stakes and knowing what Virginia Tech had to do. But I lean just a smidge to the Sweet 16 because it, it includes two wins in the, in the NCAA tournament, which I think people also forget what a – euphoric feeling that each win in the NCAA tournament is it's like it getting to the tournament is one thing advancing once and then advancing again pretty good so they're close but I, I still lean sweet 16 both against Duke both against Duke, Duke they're not in Duke's region right now are they <laughs> no <laughs> for me I do find that this ACC championship is more gratifying than that sweet 16 appearance for two reasons number one the context of the season, the fact that Virginia Tech was dead in the water, got to that point. As I mentioned before, the goalposts kept moving. We're not going to get into the NCAA tournament unless we win this game. And they did doing it against, you know, the Tobacco Road Blue Blood that, that laughed at Virginia Tech when they were added to the ACC. At least, you know, on the basketball front, Virginia Tech wasn't supposed to be a player. And you did that, and you did that when the stakes were as high as possible on a season that was considered dead. Though I was also at that Sweet 16 game, Doug, I would say... Had they won that game, that beats this. Unfortunately, they did not. And the fact that Virginia Tech was the four seed, they are chalked to get there. And they only had to play mid-major Liberty and St. Louis in the process. It's like, what carrot gold do you want as a Virginia Tech basketball fan? Because it's both totally outside of the realm of the expectations of this program just seven years ago. But I think that winning that game on Saturday was the happiest that I have ever been as a Virginia Tech fan. And uh, they, they left no doubt. Yeah, and also just like something culminating in a streak of wins. Like I think it's it's an unfair expectation to expect Virginia Tech to ever compete for the national championship. Like I know that's harsh, but that's the reality. Um, 
but just winning four games in a row and knowing that you beat the top three seeds and Clemson and that the tournament ends because you won. Like there's something so gratifying about that as well. And so obviously both tremendous, like let's see if they can make the sweet 16 this year, but um, you know, two and one season would be huge, but I think that that has got to be at least in the, you know, in terms of accomplishments, you put those two at the forefront and, you know, I, I know it's like, what are you really arguing here? Both are great. But, you know, when I think about the ACC tournament victory and I know it's recency bias, it's just I, I don't know how you top that. Virginia Tech cut down the nets and it wasn't at the Puerto Rico challenge. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's something special. <laughs> like, But yeah, I mean, absolutely. But yeah, let's talk about the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think to get things started, you know, you look at this seating. And I talk about how I don't think Virginia Tech would have been in the tournament had they not beaten Duke. There's a lot of reasons to say that, you know, the resumes of other teams that were on the outside looking in. But, you know, that 11 seed did not show much respect for the ACC champion Hokies. What do you think about the seeding? Do you think Virginia Tech deserved more? Try to be as unbiased as possible. I think when you it's it's weird to see like a power five champion uh you know, with 23 wins, get an 11 seed like that. That is a bit bizarre. I think also, you know, up until two minutes before when you're if, if you watch uh, Selection Sunday, when you see you're in the last region and North Carolina takes the eight seed, um, either eight or nine, I think it was eight. Like you're I, at that point, I was expecting Virginia Tech because you knew they had to be on the lower side to be like a seven or a ten. So when they came out as the 11 seed, I was definitely surprised. I think, like, you know, the way Joe Lenardi was talking about it, I don't want to pile on him, but just the committee's eyes. Like, there were a lot of decisions this year. Tennessee, Houston, uh, you know, even Michigan making it as an 11 seed. Like, there, there were a bunch of decisions where I think if you look in a vacuum, you're saying, okay, like, it makes sense for Virginia Tech to be a higher seed. But just the way that, you know, there really isn't a, a method to the madness, uh, like, I, I see it, I guess. But um, I definitely think it's better that they got the 11 seed as opposed to an 8 or a 9, which they're, I feel like they're arbitrarily thrown into um, just because you're avoiding the 1 seed. And, like, it, it's a lot better, you know, regardless how good they are, where they should be seated. Like you're playing a six seed in round one, uh, a six seed that most people in the country are looking at Virginia Tech as a as a favorited upset pick, and then you're playing a you know either a three or you know maybe Yale. But um, I think in terms of the seeding, it doesn't make sense. But you know as a Virginia Tech fan, you got to be happy with the way that it played out. Like it could have been a lot worse. I, I you know in a normal ACC year. An ACC champion is much, much higher, especially one that's ranked as high as Virginia Tech is and all the efficiency stuff on Ken Palm and all that stuff. Um, I'm looking at Ken Palm right now, Tech's 23rd. Uh, you know, there's teams down Alabama at 25 as a six seed. Um, a lot of eight, nine, six, sevens around them. I think in a normal ACC year where Tech's that stretch from Florida State on in the regular season where you can pick up some some more quality wins i think they become a different end. and i think the loss the q3 losses to boston college and nc state were just like 
cement on Tech's resume, um, Tech's postseason hopes. But Matei hit the nail on the head. I don't. You don't want to go if you can't get up to six. You don't want to be seven, eight, nine, or ten. Avoid the one and two altogether in round two. If you can't be a six seed or higher, you want to be eleven, twelve. And so I, I was that's that was ideal to me. Um, avoid Kentucky, avoid Duke again. Like no, we're, I don't want to play them. Purdue, Purdue's pretty looks pretty tough with um, with their size and ability and all that stuff. They're always a solid program, and um, that's a but. But anything you can do to stay off the one or two line there in round two, that's that's how you make the Sweet Sixteen. That's that's how you get a run going. Um, so should they have been higher? I don't know. I mean, you could see that coming, you know, from a mile away, even, even though they won the ACC championship, they were, they're on the bubble. I don't know how much higher you go from like a, a first four 12 seed, maybe to all the way up to eight or nine. I don't, I, I wasn't expecting that, but, um, definitely happier with an 11 versus what a 10 would have been. Yeah, and that's a fair assessment. What do you think of the matchup with Texas? I mean, this is a team who was in and out of the top 10 for a large portion of the season and kind of had the opposite of what happened to the Hokies. They lost, I believe, five of their last six. Um, a key player, I, I called him the Justin Mutz of their lineup, out indefinitely for personal reasons. We don't know his status, whether he'll be able to play in the NCAA tournament, but I feel like if it was one of those things where they could just flip the switch and bring him back, well, they probably would have brought him back for the Big 12 tournament. And alas, that did not happen. At the same time, losing five of six in the Big 12, it's not like they were losing to Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh. They were losing to Kansas and Baylor, Texas Tech. I mean, this is a team with with a strong resume that has been struggling as of late. What do you think about the matchup with the Hokies? I think it's a it's a good spot for to play a six seed. Like I wouldn't want to play Alabama. Colorado State has some intrigue there. Uh, LSU's really tough out. But I think what makes this game so interesting is you know without like doing a super big deep dive into all the stats and everything, it just seems like a polar opposite in terms of philosophy. Like one team wants to score, wants to shoot threes. The other team is built defensively and I think it's always tough come tournament time when you have these two polar opposite styles that are clashing how are they going to match up in a neutral site location you know like which which style prevails um and I think you know it, it was funny like when they showed Texas uh receiving Virginia Tech there there was one guy that did a deep stare like I just watched that game last night I do not want to play them. I do not want to guard this guy that just went off for 31 points. So I think, you know, in terms of who they could have received, again, I know we talked about seeding, but just in terms of other six seeds, like I think Texas is very manageable. And I also think that in this type of matchup, if they're doing what they did in the ACC tournament, where they're hitting shots, they're consistent, um, you know, it's tough to prepare for a team like that. And no matter how good you are defensively, you're going to have to hit shots at a big time um, in the big moment. So I think, you know, Virginia Tech has enough defense to go along with its offense. And I think that's why they're such a popular pick in, in this selection. Like 
the 11-6, like a lot of people are taking, you know, either Michigan or Virginia Tech in those games. So I think it's, you know, they got a good draw and I think it will be really interesting. I, I think the spread right now is like one point in Texas's favor. So you'll take that any day, especially in the NCAA tournament. Texas is a six is the difference between the Big 12 and the and ACC this year in terms of, you know, Virginia Tech's 23 and 12 overall right now. Texas is 21 and 11. Virginia Tech won one more ACC game than than Texas did Big 12 game, but um, playing Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, um, playing those guys night in and night out is is a little different situation than what Virginia Tech got this year. Um, Chris Beard, hands down one of the best coaches in college basketball. I, I see a lot of confidence from Virginia Tech right now. Obviously, coming off what happened in in Brooklyn, but like. Beard is going to have his, the, those guys ready to play. They're um, they're they're going to be a tough out. I was looking at uh, I said earlier Virginia Tech was 29th in offensive efficiency in the last 10 games and 23rd in defensive efficiency. Texas is 42nd and 39 in those same categories. So comparable, a little less, a little a little under. Um, so it's I don't see any way this is like a a comfortable game. This is going to be like a 40 minute battle. I think the the equalizer as it is with any basketball game is, is the three point shooting. If, if tech doesn't shoot the three, well, they're done. Um, if they shoot the ball well here against Texas, Texas does not shoot the ball. Well, I think they were, they're 275th in the last 10, um, from three. So like that Texas can be tough to stop tough defensively, all that stuff. But the three point shot is huge. And if whether it's Couture or Lean or Maddox or Murphy, like getting I think getting a couple of those down early is going to be just just huge. And 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 then it's going to be, you know, 40 minutes of you, you can't have a big turnover game like Tech has had a couple of those. Um, every turnover is magnified. Every swing is going to be huge. So I think it's going to be really, really tight game, really tough game. I'm not as I mean, if Tech plays like they played against Duke, like put them in the Sweet 16 right now. But um, I I just I mean, Chris Beard, I keep going back to that. He's just one of the best coaches in college basketball. So um, I think he's going to have this team ready to go. Just a, just a quick shout out. Um, just saw it on the timeline. But uh, Tyrod Taylor to the Giants just signed with them. So, you know, that's a that's a good opportunity for him. I know he's his NFL career hasn't panned out quite like fans would want, but I think when you're looking at quarterback situations besides the vacancies uh, in, I think, Carolina, uh, New Orleans, um, maybe Seattle, that's a good situation to be in with, with Daniel, Daniel Jones not quite uh, taking in the reins yet. So maybe we'll see a little uh, Tyrod magic. Uh, next fall. That's quite a shift from talking about Chris Beard. It's true. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> Virginia Tech plays the way that they've been playing. There is a small handful of teams I truly believe could beat them. I mean, you just beat Duke handily. But at the same time, March 5th was like a week ago, and Virginia Tech lost to Clemson in a game that they really needed to win. You know, some of the Games that they played against teams that aren't of NCAA tournament caliber, yeah, those performances won't cut it either. But 
if it's the team we saw in Brooklyn, you're, you're going to have to give them a shot. So to some degree, <laughs> outside of having to play a one-seater or a two-seater early on, like, yeah, Virginia Tech's in a halfway decent position. You beat the sixth seed, and then you have the sixth seeds wrapped to the NCAA tournament. With Texas ahead, there's a reason that Vegas has this as one of the closest, you know, non-8-9 lines out there. I think it has the potential to be one of the most entertaining games of the NCAA tournament. I see it as a super even matchup. And then, again, as for Purdue, they would pose some serious issues. But you just got to focus on surviving the first game and advancing to the next. But I'll ask you this, because I think we're, we're about at our time limit here. Tay and Doug are filling out their NCAA tournament brackets today. Will we be having another podcast to talk about Virginia Tech next week at this time? I think we'll be talking about the end of Virginia Tech season. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I don't know if it's going to happen on Friday or Sunday, but uh, as as well as they played at the ACC tournament, beating Texas and Purdue back to back. While <laughs> while I picked it on my bracket. Um, it's, it seems unlikely. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think the Texas game is going to be really tough. I don't know which way I'm leaning just because at least for my limited research, it just, it's a clash of styles and you give two really good coaches a lot of time to prepare. I know it's only a couple days, but you know, that's more than playing back to back nights in the ACC tournament. Um, I, I think that's tough. Uh, we'll see which coach prevails in terms of game planning. And, um, you know, I, I like Virginia Tech right now. I don't think they're going to play at the same high level that they did against Duke and North Carolina. And if they don't, which I'm thinking they won't, is that good enough to beat a team like Texas? And I can't answer that right now. Um, I think they, they definitely have a shot against them. They have a shot against Purdue if 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 the cards fall their way. But um, I guess like a question that I would ask to your question is like, what constitutes a successful run? Like how far does Virginia Tech have to go to say, okay, like they did what, you know, they made us proud. I think they're already there based on where they were. Fair enough. Do you, do you, do you think that Mate? I think that, I think, I think right now, I mean, even going into the ACC tournament, there was no expectations. Now, you know, you've kind of satisfied everything fans wanted to see. Um, And I, you know, that could make them a dangerous team. Like no one's expecting that much of you in this tournament. Um, And and I think, you know, if they were to get a win over Texas, I think, you know, it's icing on the cake already. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how far realistically they can really go in their region, but um, just looking at that Texas game, I think you win that. Um, and then anything from there is, you know, upwards of, of you know, icing on the cake. You can't have expectations as like an 11 seed. You didn't play well enough during the regular season to to, to be a 6 or 5 or 4 or somebody that has legitimate, like, sweet, sweet 16 expectations. You wish you played well enough. You played well enough, you know, for four games there. Uh, but like if, if you have expectations where you're going to be disappointed with a loss to Texas, like if you think Virginia Tech is above a first round loss at this point as a program, as an 11 seed, like that's 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 a little too much. Um, like this, 
that the making the NCAA tournament after how they did it is enough for this group. Um, and, and anything from here on this point is gravy. Yeah, automatically making the tournament. Haven't haven't said those words. It was a lot better watching that selection show, knowing that the name was going to pop at some point. You know, honestly, I didn't know if it was going down to the last region. <laughs> I was worried that they might have forgotten something or printed out the wrong brackets. But imagine the stress of watching the Richmond game with them winning the Atlantic 10 tournament. If Virginia Tech had lost the night before, that would have been like an equally as stressful experience as the game before itself. But as for expectations, I'll just say no one had expectations for the you know U.S. Olympic hockey team when Herb Brooks took over as head coach. But <laughs> third <laughs> time's a charm. Play him ten times, they might win nine. <laughs> Not this one. Not this one. All right, gentlemen. Any last words? Let's wrap it up. I'll say, yeah. come to VT Scoop. The top pinned story right now is our bracket challenge. Um, there's really no rewards whatsoever. But you know you're already filling out 10 brackets. Might as well make an 11th. Also, all four commitments of the recruiting class will be submitting a bracket in that pool. So that'll be really cool to see where they, you know, where they pick Virginia Tech. If anyone doesn't pick Virginia Tech as a champion, I don't, I don't know if that's that's cause for concern. But um, it'll be interesting to see their picks. Uh, and then also shout out Tyrod. I know no one else wanted to talk about him, but. Uh, Nice to see him get another opportunity. Uh, Virginia Tech begins spring practice this Friday. Nobody's paying attention to it at all. Um, probably best case scenario for Brent Pry. Uh, but, you know, a lot, lot going to be a lot to talk about over the next month or so. Going from the men's the men's Hokies, the Lady Hokies, to, to spring practice all the way up to the spring game. So, For what but, it's worth with the Lady Hokies, I genuinely do believe – they will make the Sweet 16. I think they can. Gulf Coast is a uh, a tough matchup. Oddly, so, twenty nine and two is the twelfth seed. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, but hopefully Virginia Tech has what it takes to get them done. And you know, it's the University of Maryland. Come on, like Maryland, they, they Maryland have, in College Park. That's fun. Well, which by the way, if you're a Hokie with interest in women's basketball who lives in the Northern Virginia, Maryland, D.C. area, the DMV. I guess they did make a, a shorthand for that one. Uh, if you have the time, go support the Hokies. Because, yeah, let's not make it a, a total road game if it gets to that point. Uh, but, yeah, for what it's worth, I do not expect the Hokies to make it to the Sweet 16. But, hey, anything is possible. Uh, Andrew, Alex, Doug Bowman, Matasis, thanks for joining us. Uh, again, disclaimer. We did not record this all out of one place in Blacksburg, Virginia. The budget for building our studio and getting us to all quit our full-time jobs in order to do this, we're not there yet. But if you want us to be, start subscribing to the uh, the VIP page on VT Scoop and uh, maybe 100,000 subscribers from now, we can get there. Uh, but until then, enjoy the week. Revel in your ACC championship and uh, hopefully we'll have some fun on Friday and going into Sunday. Until then, go Hokies.